So we're going to be in Luke 2 today. And we'll pick up where we left off last week. Let's start in verse 21. The end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he obviously being Jesus, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man, Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is a word of the Lord. There's a lot there. And I was planning on getting through a lot. And I thought last week I was planning on getting through a little. And we went for an hour and 10 minutes. Side note, that sermon will be on this afternoon. I was actually holding it back through today. So today we're going to get through, hopefully, less but more. you see what I mean in a minute. Look at this first section here. You got Mary and Joseph circumcising Jesus, naming him, obviously, Jesus, purification for Mary, presenting Jesus in the temple, and redeeming him. What's going on? That's what we're going to focus on today. When I was 13, every bar mitzvah I went to had a caricature artist. You ever seen a caricature artist? They, they, I, I have one of Ricky here. They um, draw a picture of you, and what they do is they highlight and overemphasize one attribute and minimize others. So you, you either have a giant head or a small head, big ears, little ears, bulbous nose, tiny nose, big muscles, little muscles, right? And at bar mitzvahs, you could have them do up your character however you like. So I always had mine done in a prophetic way, looking forward to good hair, big muscles. And I have these wonderful pictures. They look sort of like me, but they're really not me. Y'all have caricatures of Jesus. I worship a caricature of Jesus. And Luke wrote Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we might not worship caricature Jesus, but real Jesus. Not the overemphasis of certain attributes and underemphasis of others, but the proper perspective of all attributes. 
Pastor, what are you talking about? Circumcision, purification, redemption are all signs that God entrusted to Israel to remind people of sin and separation. Did you know that? Baby's born. Eight days later, the male child has to be circumcised. You know why? It's a reminder that through that thing that gets circumcised, sin is passed on to the next generation. It's a reminder that we need to be cleansed, sanctified, purified, redeemed, saved from eight days old. Hey, here's your little baby, a sinner by birth. Circumcise him. Mary had to be purified after childbirth. Why? Well, what do moms give birth to? Sinners. A sinner giving birth to a sinner. So she needs to be purified. Congratulations. Your sinful baby comes from a sinful woman in need of a savior. Trust me, this one picks up. Okay, bear with me. Redeemed. Why did the firstborn have to be redeemed? It pointed forward to our need for redemption from God, from sin, from death. Amen? We need a, we need a circumcised heart. We need spiritual cleansing. We need redemption. And God is showing us in this text that Mary and Joseph knew that. So don't just quick read the text here, but understand what's going on. Through the childbearing process, God is reminding every Jew, you are sinners in need of salvation. Do you have a daily reminder, friends, that we are sinners in need of salvation? We forget that, don't we? Now let's get into this, and then we're going to unpack this beautifully. I'm going to sit in this front section today, because the next section makes no sense without this section, and the rest of Luke falls apart. Remember we talked about in Sunday school last week? I made a crazy statement that God hates people apart from Christ. You remember that? Now, here's the thing. Who here liked that statement? God hates people apart from Christ. Who here is troubled by that statement? Who here wonders if Pastor John's making up that statement? Here's what you do with every statement that you wonder about. Don't tell me what you think. Tell me what the Bible said. So I said, God hates people apart from Christ. Jim's smiling at me because he wasn't here last week. He's going, John, where are you going with this? See what you missed last week? I talked about what I missed. We did, and I thought I'll keep unpacking that. You ever read Psalm 5? I'm going to show you why this is encouraging, so bear with me. Don't run out yet. Verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before you. Don't read the next part. You hate all evildoers. Proverbs 6, verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Go down to verse 19. A false witness who breathes out lies and the one who sows discords among his brothers. God hates people apart from Christ who are in sin. It doesn't sound right, does it? God hates people. It's because we worship a character of Jesus, a caricature of Jesus. But what does it mean that God hates? 
When people hate, what that means, I wrote it down somewhere, and I like my definition, so let me see if I can actually, if I read what I write, this helps. Disdain with a delightful desire to harm, see harmed, or not worn away from harm. That's human hatred. A delightful desire to see harmed, cause harmed, or not worn away from harm. God's hatred is pretty different. Psalm 139, 21-22 gives us a much cleaner view of God's hatred. And it boils down to this. God's hatred means treating an enemy as an enemy. That's what it means there. It says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. To be hated by God is to be counted as an enemy of God. Now, God hates people apart from Christ. Does it sound better if I say God counts those as enemies who are apart from Christ? You like that better, right? You can go with that. But think about why this sounds so crazy. God hates people apart from Christ. Why does that sound so crazy? Because God is a love. God loves everyone. Yeah, but you don't know love if you don't know hate. Why is Jesus being circumcised? Because God hates people apart from Christ. Why is Mary being purified? Because God hates people apart from Christ. Why is Jesus being redeemed? Because God hates people apart from Christ. But while we were hated by God, God showed his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Circumcised, sin, separation, need for a savior. Purified, sin, separation, need for a savior. Redeemed, sin, separation, need for a savior. But they did one more thing. They named the child what? They named the child Jesus. Our God saves. You are not lost because on your mortgage document, you miss signing line 47, subline 3, subsection, subsection 2, dot, dot, 5. Technically, you do not own your house because you didn't properly sign your covenantal document. That's not why you're lost. You're lost because you're born hating God. And because you choose to hate God, God hates you. Doesn't that just sound wrong? God hates people apart from Christ. No, he doesn't. God loves anyone. Now, hold on. We're going to work our way through Luke and see if you leave too soon, you're going to miss some stuff. You guys wore your shirts today. I like those. Search and rescue. Do you know where those come from in Luke? Luke 19.10. Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, have I any delight in the destruction of the wicked? No, God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. Peter tells us that God desires that none should be lost, but all should be saved. Luke 15, we're going to get to Luke 15. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe today if I keep going. You're going to find the lost sheep. Amen? The good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. The lost coin. The the lady lost the coin. And oh, the good one. The parable of the prodigal son. 
and the father standing up on the porch, looking out over the land, waiting for his son to come home. You remember that one? Not yelling out, I hate you! He's waiting and waiting, and he coming, and what does the father do? Boom! He doesn't say, boy, oh, you're going to have to earn your favor in this house. Where's all that money I gave you? All you spent it on ladies of ill repute, did you? Well, ha, huh, we'll see what your future, no, no. Because the boy came to himself. But that doesn't mean much if you don't understand that apart from Christ, God hates us. Hates us so much that we were destined to hell under his wrath. I mean, full-fledged hatred. But, God has a beautiful but, amen? Pastor, you're talking about God hating people, you're talking about God's butt. What is wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me. It's all in the Bible. But God shows his love for us in what? How does God show his love for us? In that while he hated us, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a line several of you shared with me this week as you pushed back on my sermon last week, and I appreciate pushback. We have a lot more questions in Sunday school, I imagine, today, too. Doesn't God hate the sin but love the sinner? Find it. I'll wait. You know why you won't find it? That's not what Psalm 5 said. Psalm 5 said God hates the sinner. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But until we understand the hatred of God, you cannot understand the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. But you remember verse 17 and 18 there? If you don't trust in God, you're already condemned. You see, I, was, I got a great sermon or two to preach on the rest of this text. I mean, you, oh, you look here. I'll show you where we're going next week, God willing. Look at this. He says in, in 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. My goodness, wait till we start unpacking that next week. Woo! But that's not going to mean a whole lot until you understand why is Luke telling us that Jesus got circumcised? Can I ask a question this way? Why did Jesus have to be circumcised? I thought circumcision was a reminder of sin and separation. Why did Jesus have to get circumcised? Wasn't Jesus redeemed in the temple? This is in Leviticus if you want to read the details of it. Why, why did Jesus have to be redeemed? I thought Jesus was perfect and pure and holy. It's Leviticus 12, 1 through 5, if you want to do a little legwork this week. Well, why did Jesus have to be circumcised? Why did Jesus have to be redeemed? Why did Mary have to be purified? She didn't give birth to a sinful child, and isn't Mary perfectly sinless? No. Mary is a sinner in need of a Savior. Mary, apart from Christ, is hated by God. My goodness, did I just say that the mother of the man, Jesus, was hated by God apart from grace? I did say that, but she received grace. 
Do you know why Jesus was circumcised and redeemed? I don't know either. It would be interesting to know. I know why. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He was born under the law. He kept the law on our behalf. Jesus didn't just save us from sin. He credited us with righteousness. We're going to talk downstairs today about this big, beautiful world word called justified. And justified means a whole lot more than you think it means. It's not, te- I mean, technically, Karam brought up last time, it's just as if I'd never sinned, but you still miss something with that. You know why? Because the reality is it's just as if I've never sinned in light of the fact that I really did sin and couldn't stop sinning and delighted my sin. you got to blow up that word a little bit more, and you only do that under this. I am a friend of God. Can anyone here say that? Yes? I'm a friend of God by grace through faith. I am a friend of God. I have received the favor of God. God sent his son as a propitiation so that God might be favorable to me. But I can only say that and enjoy that to the extent that I understand that I used to be hated by God. I'm going to go off the, off, off the path I set for a minute here. I defined human hatred. Disdain with delightful desire to harm, see harmed, or not worn away from harm. The natural human state is hatred. We're only able to love by being born new in Christ. Now I want you, you go see, throwing out all this stuff, I'm going to give myself a million questions. I'm talking towards God. But think about this. When we don't see lost people as hated by God and under his wrath, yet at the same time God desiring to save them from his wrath for his glory, and we don't tell them about the good news of the gospel, what are we doing towards those people? No. Disdain with delightful desire to harm, see harmed, or not worn away from harm. See, this is what stands in the way of our walking in obedience to Christ. This is what stands in the way of our desire to proclaim Christ. This is what stands in our way of being able to enjoy Christ as we fail to understand that apart from Christ, we were not neutral. God was not looking at us going, oh, it's such a cute little puppy dog. No, he was looking at us going, Disdain, wrath, anger, fury, but love. Do you see that? Until you understand who you were apart from Christ, you can't understand who you are in Christ. And until you understand who lost people are apart from Christ, you will never desire to proclaim Christ to them. Because you'll make up all sorts of characters about Jesus, about why it's okay. God loves them. God will save them if God wants to. Stop. Start where the Bible starts. Birth, circumcision, purification, redemption. Why? Because every child born, I have three. They were very cute at birth. I remember they had big old giant babies. You know, you got an 11-pound baby, the first infant you ever seen. You thought everybody else in the hospital was sick. Why are all these kids so skinny and tiny? And the nurses laughed at me. 
and I'm carrying this, this, this bundle of joy who smelled good, he looked cute, he was fun to hold, and I remember my mom shows up to see him, oh, he's perfect. And you know what I say? He's not perfect, mom. How can you say that about your kid? Mom, he's, he's a sinner in need of a savior. Oh, stop yourself. He's perfect. He's pure. No, he's cute. When you look at a baby, do you see a sinner in need of salvation? I mean, how, how long does it take for that kid to yell at you? They turn two. Hey, cute, they're still cute at two. <laughs> Go pick up your toys. No. Well, where'd that come from? That's who we are by birth. You're dumb. Oh, am I dumb now? Now, we think that God's like, oh, you're so cute, don't worry about it. You know what happens? You just keep getting bigger and bigger and nastier and nastier. I love my kids. God loves all people. But we're born separated from God because we're bent away from God. You see that? We're not cute and cuddly. We're enemies of God. Until you are overwhelmed with the enmity with which you came to God, grace is cheap. You'll forget about the reality of who Jesus is. You read the parable of the prodigal son, and you go, of course he would let him back. It was his kid. Oh, you missed the whole thing, guys. Of course he'll go get a sheep. He lost his sheep. Shepherds love sheep. They're so cute. No. No, 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 well, you've got to wait till we get there. It's a little countercultural. The coy, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to blow our minds as we go through here and see Jesus for who he is. But, but let, me, let me give you this one. You remember Christmas Eve last year? King of kings! Right, what comes next? Forever. Oh, Lord of You go, whatever, and king of kings! And we got all these people at Christmas Eve. Hallelujah! Danny's looking at me like he lost it. <laughs> people love that song at Christmas Eve, right? Who likes that song? It's Handel's Messiah. Who likes that? I mean, it's a good song. Where does it come from in the Bible? I'm going to ruin the song for you. <laughs> but I'm also going to make the song wonderful. Do you know where that song comes from? Mm -hmm. We're doing this next Christmas Eve. It comes from Revelation. And go ahead to Revelation 19. Let me show you something wonderful and scary, and it'll make you rethink singing that song at Christmas Eve. <laughs> Revelation 19. King of kings! Everybody's like, hallelujah! People should be going, oh no! Oh no! Lord of lords! Everybody get low! Get low! Look at what it says here. Anybody found it yet? In verse 12 of 19, We'll start in 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's the blood of his enemies, by the way. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Guess what the name is? King of Kings! Lordo! Oh, snap. On a horse, with a sword, as a conquering general, covered in the blood of his enemies, to seek and destroy. Oh, my. But, Luke 19.10 stands in the way. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, so he might not destroy it when he returns. Do you see the beauty and majesty of God's grace here? Don't play with Jesus. Don't characterize Jesus. Don't make his grace too big and his holiness too small. Let his attributes sit uncomfortably. Behold your God. Our God saves. Oh, man, he does. But he saves people from his wrath. And until you understand what it means to be an enemy of God, being a friend of God cannot be so magnificent. Can I now pivot us to the good stuff here? Sure. You have to be terrified by God to be adoring of who he is and who you are in Christ. I am a friend of God. Just like that's so crazy to say. That, that's so audacious. I'm a friend of God. This is where we lose the gospel. This is where Luke is so important. This is why we're going so slowly through the first part of Luke. We have people testifying. Luke is setting up so slowly. He's writing to Theophilus that he might have an orderly account to be sure of what's going on, right? Then he says, all right, listen, let's set the stage. Messiah's coming. And I'll show you it's Messiah. Here comes a forerunner. And I'll show you it's a forerunner. Watch what happens with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, now, let me show you. And remember, he's talking to Mary about this Jesus stuff. He's living at the same time in the same place. And he says, here's how he came. He's fulfilling prophecy. And then he's born. God incarnate is born. Simeon is going to hold Jesus in his hands. God incarnate in his hands. And why does he rejoice? Because that baby holds Simeon in his hands. Who's holding who, amen? And Luke is setting this up slowly and deliberately. So as we progress through the life of Christ, we're not playing with, with little cute cuddly Jesus. We are magnifying the reality of King of kings and Lord of lords. The baby comes back. And until you understand that, you don't understand the gospel circumcision is mandated by God to remind us of sin and separation and an invitation to covenantal fellowship with God. Purification is mandated to remind us, this is Old Testament Mosaic law, you don't have to run home and get circumcised if you haven't been yet. Okay, you can take that up with your doctor, we're under grace. You have a child, you don't have to go to the temple to get purified. Mosaic law, it all points forward to something. But what does it point forward to? I, I, don't, I think I remember in Romans about how we receive a circumcision 
of the heart? I think I remember in 1 Corinthians of how in Christ we have been washed, we have been cleansed, we have been purified. I think I remember reading of Jesus being our Redeemer. Amen? Do you see where all this stuff points? And Jesus kept the law perfectly that you couldn't. That's Romans 3, by the way. I'll make you guys not have to work too hard here. Look at Romans 3. This stuff is just... See, I'm just setting up the sermon. I haven't gotten started yet. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the what? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see what just happened here in Luke 2? The Redeemer was redeemed. Does that blow your mind? The Redeemer was redeemed the cost of two turtle doves. The one who came so that our hearts might be circumcised was himself circumcised. Jesus kept the law on our behalf. See, because in Christ, we're not just forgiven for our sin. We're credited with righteousness. So think about this. Bar mitzvahs, you'd sit down in these chairs and this artist would draw a picture of your caricature. But I want you to imagine you're sitting across from someone and they say, can you draw me a picture of Jesus? Use your words. Tell me what he's like. What do you tell him? Don't try to do it right now. Take a little bit of time, wouldn't it? What is Jesus like? Well, God is love. I'll go there. That's in the Bible. In him there is no darkness at all. What are you going to do with Psalm 5? God hates the wicked. What are you going to do with Genesis? And what are, you going to, what are you going to do with Revelation? Lord of Lord and King of Kings, a bloody guy with the sword coming to destroy? Here's what we're after in Luke. All you got today was a setup for the next sermon. I hope you understand that. What we're after in Luke is Luke says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, hey, sit down. Let me draw you a picture of Jesus. Say, well, Luke, I'm kind of busy. I got places to go. Can you do it fast? He says, no, it's going to take me 24 chapters. But what we're doing is slowly and deliberately and methodically sitting in front of Luke, who writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to help us clean up our picture of Jesus. We've clearly overemphasized certain attributes, haven't we? We've underemphasized other attributes. But it's not until we see Jesus for who he truly is that we'll understand what John says coming soon. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It's, we're not ready for Luke 15 until we get through 1 to 14. You know that? You can't really be thrilled with the parable of the prodigal son until you understand all that goes on before we see the parable of the prodigal son. And I'll break a little news to you. It's actually not about the son first and foremost or the, the father sitting there. It's about the older son. And that's who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees at the time. But if you wait three years till I get there, you'll forget everything I just said. It won't take three years. So this is what we're after. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Who's Jesus? So far, what do we got? He is God incarnate. He is God saves. I mean, let's not go too fast there. You shall call him Jesus. It's not like, I like the sound of that. I was thinking Matthew maybe or, or Joseph Jr., but Jesus has a nice ring to it. That's not what he's talking about. You shall call this baby God saves. Well, how does he do it? Got to come back next week for that one. But who is he? He's God saves. And who is God saving us from? See, here's the problem and when the plane's coming in. The problem with the prosperity gospel is it sees our greatest enemy and our greatest need as stuff, fulfillment, affirmation, wealth, health, all those things. It thinks if we have those, then we're saved. No. You need to be saved from God. And here's the beauty, my friends. When you are saved from God, listen, careful with this. Lost person comes to you, oh, I'm having trouble. I got this sickness. I got this problem. I got this issue. Will you pray for me? Well, what are you going to pray? God, I want to present your enemy to you. I know that you hate them according to your word. I know that they hate you and they stand under your wrath and condemnation. They have no fellowship with you. But would you mind fixing up their problems? It's okay to pray for a lost person's problems. But understand it's an invitation to pray the gospel for them. I'm sick, can you pray for me? I'm in trouble, can you pray for me? I have debt, can you pray for me? Sure, I can do all those things and I'll do them all right now. And as I pray, I'm going to pray the gospel. Because it's not just that physical sickness that's a problem, there's a greater sickness. It's a symptom of a bigger sickness, right? The debt's not the main problem, there's a bigger debt that has to be paid, and that's what we're going to pray in the gospel. You see where I'm going here? And for those of us in Christ, think about this. It's a whole different position. I want you to imagine one of my kids calls me up. Actually, we had a funny conversation, and JJ and I were talking to my dad, and my dad had his wallet out or something, and JJ said, can I have $20? And my dad goes, sure. I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> and, and I said, can I have $20? And, <laughs> and my dad says, I, JJ was involved in this somehow. He said to me, if you really needed $20, of course I'd give you $20. He's saying this to me. And I know he would. If I needed 20 bucks, I can call my dad. He'll give me 20 bucks, no doubt. If I need 100 bucks, he'll give me 100 bucks. Beyond that, I don't know. My dad is a fallen, imperfect rebel before God. But he still shows some wonderfully good attributes under common grace. My heavenly father promises he will provide for all of my needs in Christ Jesus. And I don't even have to call him up and say, Father, I need 20 bucks. He knows before I know and provides for me. So when God says, fear not, for I am your God, do you understand what he's saying, who you are, and how you became such? Do you understand how much God loves you? We wrestled with this in a conversation last week, right? Ricky and I talked about it this morning. A father in a pool saying, jump to me. Hang on to that attribute of God. His love, his tenderness, his compassion, his delight in his children. He will never drop us. 
but he's the same God who comes in Revelation 19 on a horse with a sword covered in blood. And we can go, that's my daddy. But don't come running up too casually. Come running up as you would to a perfect father. Growing up, my daddy's a businessman. He ran a business. He had a corner office. And I was able to come to his office anytime I wanted. I was a little punk kid walking into the office, you know, waving at all the people. And they'll be, I thought they liked me. They just wanted to keep their jobs. How are you? How are you? And I could walk up past the secretary. I'm going to see my dad. Hey, dad. I did that once the wrong way. Because I had unfettered access to my father. But if I went casually, it was a problem. You see, if, if he's in a meeting and I have an emergency, I'm the priority. But if he's in a meeting and I'm trying to show off, I'm going to have an issue. Because he wasn't my best friend. He was my father. But apart from Christ, you open up that door to your daddy's office, you will be consumed by the Shekinah glory of God and die. Remember last week? Who is Jesus? There's too much to say here. Circumcision, purification, redemption. What's going on? It's all about the fact they named him Jesus. All right, let's get into our text today and we'll begin preaching the sermon. Let me show you where we'll be next week. We'll close this out and we'll have some fellowship and discussion downstairs. We're going to pick up next week. We're going to be in the same text. God willing, we're going to take it all the way down to verse 38. We're getting really close to Jesus' earthly ministry. And I encourage you to read ahead this week and think about it, but I'll tell you what you're looking at is Luke is going to present three witnesses, or four technically in three groups, Mary and Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. And all of those three groups are testifying to the reality of who this Jesus is as Luke finishes laying the groundwork so that we have the testimony of all these people, we have a foundation upon which to walk, that this is scary God who came to save us from the scary, because I remember the Bible saying somewhere that perfect love casts out what? Fear. And as we get through that, we're going to see, we're going to see uh, Jerry's passage from Real Conversations, right, about Jesus at the temple, What's he doing forgetting to go home with his mama? And man, I'm excited for where we're going after that. How long till we get to Luke 15, Barb? I don't know. We'll get there sometime unless Jesus comes back first. And trust me, you won't want to wait around for my preaching when he shows up. Father, I pray that the time today would have been pleasing to you in your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see clearly the reality of who you are. Lord, it just sounds wrong to say God hates. In fact, I would venture that there might not be anybody else saying that this morning in our cultural context. That uh, is unsettling. And Lord, as we all hear that, I pray that as it unsettles us, we would turn to your word and allow your word to settle us in truth. You are not a God who is made in our image that we create. You are the God in whose image we are made that you created. And you are not always comfortable, but you are always comforting. Lord God, help us as we leave here today to marvel, to rejoice and to rest. 
for those who have trusted in you, Lord, show us the cost at which you redeemed us and sanctified us and saved us. If we've been saved by your death, Lord Jesus, how much more now that we are reconciled will we be saved by your life? Lord, help us to understand what that's saying. We are saved by a living Savior. Lord Jesus, you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, for those who may be here or may be listening to the recording who have not yet trusted in you, may you just work mightily in their lives and convict their heart that the indifference that they profess towards you or the denial of you is the most dangerous place to stand because you, God, are not indifferent towards them. Apart from Christ, Psalm 5 says you hate them. But Ezekiel tells us that even in your hatred towards them, you do not delight in the perishing of the wicked. You delight in the salvation of people. And you, Lord God, came in the flesh with the name of God saves. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict those who have not yet trusted in you of sin and separation and holiness so that they might turn to you and be saved, to be able to call you a friend, a child of the Most High God. Lord God, as we move forward into Luke, I pray that we move well on the foundation of the gospel, that we see you more clearly, that a caricature we carry of you might be changed to a more perfect representation. Lord, may we fulfill the first two commandments. May we have you as our only God, and may we worship you as who you truly are. Lord Jesus, help us for your name's sake, by your power, to know you well, to enjoy you well, as we know our identity in you. We are friends of God, saved by God, for the glory of God. Lord, may we not treat you casually, because casualness is not an option with the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But may we come to see that as we trust in you and walk with you and die to self and fight sin, little by little, more and more, we desire nothing other than to walk in obedience to you. Because in obedience to you, we have fellowship with you, and in fellowship with you, our joy is complete. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servants like Luke. But Lord, we thank you most of all today for your grace and mercy so that we might call you Father and be reconciled to you for all of eternity. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.